Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and the radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa, 11 to noon weekdays, that radio program. The Talking Tide podcast, available always first at our web host at Podbean.com. Also, several apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn, and of course, the Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. You can get quick links to all the podcasting here uh, from that feed. Travis, we dive in on a recap of Alabama's victory in the Citrus Bowl, 35-16, the final score. The Crimson Tide uh, comes away with their 11th win of the season, closing it out at 11-2. and uh, Michigan drops their fourth game of the year to close out the season uh, in the Big Ten. And uh, uh, really, a game, kind of a tale of two halves, Travis. Uh, Michigan gave Alabama all they wanted and more first half, second half, Different Alabama team for the most part, and they pull away with it. Started quickly and well enough, didn't it? Three and out for Michigan uh, on the opening drive of the football game. Has to punt it away. And first play from scrimmage for Alabama, Jerry Judy, 85 yards from Mac Jones for a touchdown. And you started to think, is this going to be Michigan State, Alabama from the 2011 Citrus Bowl? It didn't really go to that script, though, from that point forward, at least not through the remainder of the first half. The Alabama defense, once again, Shay, struggling against some very basic type of run plays from a, an opponent. And look, we understand it at this point. We understand the in injuries. We understand the additional absences that Alabama was dealing with on the uh, defensive side of the ball uh, on Wednesday. But it uh, had to be extremely frustrating. It looked like it based on some of the sideline shots. We got a Nick Saban and Pete Golding there. Uh, tough to watch when an Alabama defense, again, at the most fundamental level of run defense, can't get stops. And Michigan, by the way, not a very good running team on the offensive side of the ball going into the game. But Michigan at the half with 135 rushing yards. But you're right. It seemed to flip the script anyway. Second half, Alabama was able to get Najee Harris involved more. That run game was a big part of things with Najee there. Uh, and you got to give Mac Jones a lot of credit, too. When he had opportunities, for the most part, uh, he took advantage of that man coverage from Michigan. Uh, more than once, had eight completions of 15 yards or more. So, thankfully for Alabama, things sort of got rectified in, in, in the run defense there in the third and fourth quarter. And uh, the explosive plays were, once again, a big, big part of the backdrop for the Alabama offense. Because snaps in general certainly didn't favor Alabama in, in, in Wednesday's game. No, UA's passing attack definitely carried the day, and, and Najee Harris ran the ball extremely well as well, 136 yards for the junior. But the offense certainly carrying the day, and, and defensively, as you noted, uh, some problems for Alabama, mostly in the first half. But, yeah, and, and I don't think Michigan's particularly dynamic at all really at the running back position but they do have a solid offensive line a veteran offensive line arguably the strength of that team and so going against a younger Alabama front even though those guys on uh that are freshmen in Alabama's front seven they've got a year under their belt uh but against that Michigan offensive line I think you could expect a couple of struggles that's exactly what happened also though not just in the run game, but I thought the, the the pass rush lacking as well. And, of course, Terrell Lewis, as you outlined, Travis, was out. But, you know, one thing I noticed in, in the game and really have noticed somewhat of a pattern of throughout the season 
is, and not just with the ends, but with the tackles as well, if they don't win the rep immediately at the snap of the ball, they get stoned. And the, the quarterback ends up getting all day to throw. And the difference there is you're not going to beat everybody with your first step. And when you don't, as a pass rusher, it, you've either got to be a technique guy, right, who's going to come with a counter move, or you're a power guy who's going to disengage like a like a Deron Payne or a Jaron Reed and just throw you out of the way. Or maybe you're an effort guy like a Fedarian Mathis, like a Nick Gentry type of guy. But one Wallace way, Gilberry. Yeah, yeah. But, but one way or another, if you don't, if you don't jailbreak on the first step, you got to get off. And, and and I just I didn't see much of that from the pass rush in the Citrus Bowl, and and in a lot of games didn't see it all year. Yeah, no, it was a continuing theme throughout the 2019 season. Getting off blocks in general was a major problem, and it's one that you typically see when you have as much youth as Alabama was working with, because in high school, speed and or power is enough, but hand play, technique, those type of things in terms of stacking guys, shedding guys, arm over moves, swim moves, long arming, if you're coming off the edge, all those different terms we've heard in the pass rush, uh, they come into play. You have to have you know, more than a, a one-trick pony approach to, to getting after people, uh, especially in the pass rush. But it was also an issue throughout the season in the run game. I mean, why do you think teams continuously – went to empty formations and tried to run the quarterback because they knew they could block four with five and none of those four guys for the most part were a threat to get off blocks. Uh, And when you empty the backfield and you take defenders out of the middle of the field because you are spread out, well, then it's up to those guys up front. You either have to really constrict gaps in running lanes in those situations, pass rush lanes in those situations, or you're going to give up chunk runs. And it wasn't just running backs. It was quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, we saw it. Hell, even Tommy Stevens of Mississippi State looked like uh, Johnny Manziel on a couple of runs in Starkville back in November. So I got to think, yeah, Chase, it's a big point of emphasis for this defense. Who knows who's going to be coaching that defensive line? Maybe it'll still be Brian Baker. We'll have to see. Uh, But it's certainly the next step that a lot of these young defensive linemen need to take. Best performance of the year for Mac Jones, certainly Travis, uh, particularly given the stage and the opponent, 16 of 25, 327 and three scores. Probably most importantly, though, no turnovers. And he comes up big and uh, really for him it remains to be seen. The quarterback situation next year with Tua Tungvaloa, we'll touch on that a little bit later in the program, but that decision's coming early next week. Uh, but whether Mac Jones is – competing with Tua next fall or not, this was a big one for him to close on. It was. And I think uh, for a number of reasons, Max got a lot of value for this program moving forward. As you sort of tease there with the Tua decision coming up on Monday, certainly if Tua does make the jump, uh, you know, Mac is thrust right into that spotlight as what you would think to be the starter, at least going into spring practice, understanding that Bryce Young, the outstanding high school talent, uh, will be on campus in a matter of days. Uh, but even if Tua comes back, Chase, I, I think it, it, if you can keep Mac in, in this situation, in that room, uh, into the t- 2020 season, that's a huge, huge boon uh, for, for Alabama because wh- what do we know as much as anything about Tua to this point? He gets hurt. You know, it, It's not a knock on the guy. It's just what 
what we we have to work with the 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 track record. And so, I, I, in my opinion, regardless of what Tua does, Mac Jones still, as he's shown us here in the latter stages of the 2019 season, uh, a really really valuable guy to try to hang on to. As pretty as that ball to Judy was to lead off the game, I thought arguably the most challenging throw and impressive throw that he made was uh, the little crossing route to Henry Ruggs with heat in his face. I mean, kind of a last-second release there. It looked like he was going to go down for a sack or at least uh, get the ball knocked out, but flips one to, to Ruggs on a little crossing route for a big first down. Uh, those are the kind of plays you expect from a starter. And and really, if you if you know, I think Mac Jones is, is regarded as a guy who lacks experience, and I guess in some respects he does, certainly compared to Tua he does. But if you add up all the second halves he played in 18, Travis, and all, yeah. the, all the second halves he played in 19 before he took over as a starter, he's probably played 12 games worth of football, don't you think? Played a lot of football, and again, you you touched on some of the highlights and the willingness that he showed, again, to stand in there uh, and take the punishment and still be able to deliver on time and accurately. What about the three-play sequence there early in the fourth quarter? It's a 21-16 game. A punt uh, by Michigan puts Alabama inside its own 10. Uh, First down. Najee loses a yard, second down incompletion. You're looking at third and 11 from your own eight, and you're up five there early in the fourth quarter, and he makes a perfect throw to the outside to Jerry Judy for 14 yards. Then he hits Judy on the crossing route for 58. The very next step, uh, snap, he hits Forrestall for a 20-yard touchdown. That was a Tua-like sequence right there from Mac Jones. I'm not saying he can do that as consistently as Tua can, uh, but that was, that was pretty much a door slamming type of three play, uh, stretch there from Mac Jones. It, it was. And, and I think the explosiveness of that wide, wide receiving core, no matter who's at quarterback gets their share of credit for the way they were able to kind of zip, they could flip the field in the blink of an eye, this team and, and last year's Alabama team as well. Uh, remarkable explosive. I'm look, they've been playing college football for 120 years or more I know and I've only been paying attention for about 40 of them Travis but I feel pretty good calling Jalen Waddle the best number four receiver in the history of the game <laughs> I think he I think he'd have to be up there and, and we're both very familiar with what some teams did even in the 90s um when you look at what Florida had under Steve Spurrier in that stretch in that decade, look at some of the wide receiver cores that Florida State had also in the 90s under Bobby Bowden. But I, I can't disagree with you at all. And, you know, it, it was a game in which you, you know, Judy was so good and you, and you simply just didn't get as many snaps off um, as you probably would have liked, certainly not through three quarters. Alabama only ran 35 plays in the first three quarters, Chase. So, you know, opportunities were limited for everybody but uh yeah with what waddle's able to do after the catch like those other guys and then also in the return game uh you kind of expect i guess at this point right that jerry judy's going to go ahead and make that move to the nfl even though his coach told him apparently he's not a top 15 pick (laughs) (laughs) anyway jerry judy you expect to go ahead but Jalen waddle kind of announced his presence to the college football world i thought in the in the auburn game well, I think they're really going to get to know him in 2020. 
How about the heat coming down on Jim Harbaugh in the aftermath of this game, Travis? The Michigan faithful not real pleased. If you read some of the lo- the Detroit Free Press, some of the local uh, <laughs> media accounts of the Citrus Bowl, they're not too happy. Jim Harbaugh, I think he's lost his last four bowl games at Michigan. As we know, he's really not come up with uh, a big win that the that the fan base was was counting on. Not having one, but having a bunch of them by this point. And it hadn't happened, uh, the, but the checks keep clearing, Travis. They yes, keep clearing. yes, they do. And the spring break trips to Greece and Italy and everywhere else, I guess, keep getting booked too uh, for the Michigan Wolverines. But no, uh, he, he's testing sort of that theory that it's it's nearly impossible to get rid of a prodigal son because that's exactly what Jim Harbaugh is up there. But, you know, yesterday was especially painful, I'm sure, for him, but certainly for that fan base because we know we know what the true feelings are of some of the elitist-type programs and universities in the Big Ten and how they perceive the football factories like Alabama and the Southeastern Conference. That made it especially tough yesterday for Michigan. Not only did you – uh, get hammered once again by an SEC opponent. Happened last year in the bowl game, too, in Atlanta with Florida doing the honors. But it was kind of the double whammy from the Saban perspective because it's the old Michigan State coach that handled, handed you one. And um, and also, you know, I'm sure Harbaugh didn't like that last touchdown uh, from Alabama, Chase, in the, in the waning seconds. But I think maybe it's helped Harbaugh in some way because you got a lot of Michigan fans that are ex- exceptionally salty about Alabama's decision to go ahead and run it in there from two yards out that, you know, you're hearing, you're hearing as much about Alabama and and the lack of class in doing that than you are maybe even some of Harbaugh shortcomings. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a little, that's a little hard. It's a little rich for me. I I mean, I I hearken back to Nick, uh, to Steve Spurrier blowing people out in the mid nineties with the Gators essentially saying 70. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Stop us, you know? Yeah. Uh, But uh, look, but, but look, but look, Chase, did Nick have to come with two offensive linemen in the backfield to run it in there? I'll say I'll say yeah. this. It it was unusual for Saban, right? Yeah. In there. yeah. yeah. It, it's a it's a knee in any any against any other opponent, well, right? Here's the thing. I actually because I wondered about that. I went back on uh today's Thursday. I went back this morning and I actually checked the Tennessee game because I remember that game ending in a similar fashion to yesterday's or Wednesday's. So I went back and checked and, and you know what? Nick didn't kneel it down on Jeremy Pruitt either, but there were some differences in that it was inside a minute, right inside a minute. It was a fourth and one at about the Tennessee nine. It wasn't at the two or the one. Yeah. And so the play clock dictated that Alabama had to run a play you had Keelan Robinson in the game at running back. He still had that first OL out there, I think, for the most part. And so Alabama still ran a handoff to Keelan Robinson. He was stuffed for no game, uh, no game, Tennessee ball. That's it. Well, yesterday, you know, it was third down, okay? It wasn't fourth. So Nick, if he wanted to, he could have kneeled it down with a running clock and didn't even have to snap it on fourth down. And on top of that, Chase... You got Chris Owens and Kendall Randolph at the fullback positions in yeah. front of Najee, right? <laughs> and you hand it, and you hand it to Najee from two yards out. He, that they leads, wanted that, that one. That leads me to believe 
<laughs> that perhaps Nick especially wanted that last one yesterday. Yeah, it was that was quite a sequence, and and I you know the closer to, the closer to the goal line you get, the more as a defense you don't want to you don't want to kneel no, down. No. You know, it's more no, no. it's more embarrassing as a defense for the kneel down to come on your, on, your, on the two than the forty. So yeah. you know, there's there's that factor as well. Uh, real quickly, Travis, we will turn to the forthcoming decisions by underclassman Alex Leatherwood returning as of Thursday anyway. Tua Tungavaloa, as we talked about a little earlier, is going to announce his decision on Monday as to whether he'll return for 2020. And Dylan Moses, Travis, we, he was he was coming back, and now it's a not-so-fast with, with young <laughs> Dylan. Uh, he's apparently on the fence Oof. with uh, a loss-of-value insurance claim that's got his picture suddenly muddled, Travis. Yeah, according to that release, and uh, I, I, you you may know more about this than I do, apparently Dylan's father is an attorney. That's correct. Is, that's correct. And so the Moses firm released a statement in relation to Dylan around midday on Thursday that kind of uh, didn't just tap the brakes on the Dylan Moses returning to Alabama talk, Chase. It was, uh, it was a full-blown they hit the uh, emergency brake there, just under the dashboard with the left foot, you know, and kind of, or the one in the middle, the console that you can sort of pull back there. But, uh, you know, it was an interesting statement to say the least. I'll say this for Dylan. Good for him, first of all, in securing that loss of value insurance before the 2019 season. It's still amazing to me, Chase, that Tua, in some form or fashion, didn't have a loss of value, uh, but he didn't. So good for Good for Dylan on that point. And look, it's a business. And if, in fact, as the statement from the Moses Law Firm read, Dylan had received officially a sort of mid-first-round grade before the season, and now he's got a second-round grade uh, coming out of the season, you you got to consider the financial ramifications potentially of that. And so you're right. It, it would seem muddled. At this point, I did think it was interesting, and we also saw this in the statement today. Nick Saban, when he was asked about Dylan Moses before Wednesday's game, he he invoked in you know the the word insurance in a, in a to an effect of got to make sure he's got the proper he's properly insured, and we've got to help him do those things. And that's what you read in the statement today too. That I think the word even negotiation was used in terms of the Moses family and UA so coming negotiation, to an agreement. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're going to pay it. That's the negotiation. <laughs> and so, man, Chase, this is this is so interesting on like what? Four or five different levels, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh it, it, one of the top linebackers in the in the country and and these loss of value policies at, at the way they run it's so much different than the old days right I mean I, I can remember I think I can remember the first guy and, and he may not have it's the first one I can remember anyway to to get a big payoff on one of these injury insurances with a defensive lineman from Florida by the name of Ed Chester uh, who had a bad knee a really good player I think he would have played in the NFL a pretty long time had a bad knee injury I think there was some nerve damage involved career ender uh, and he rings the cash register. But at that time, 
the, the, I think the only policy available to any of these guys was called catastrophic injury insurance, and you mm-hmm. could only trigger a claim if in a career-ending situation. Well, loss of value, of course, is completely different. Loss of value uh, can mean you know you, you, you tear an ACL or whatever the case may be, and you're back on the field in a year, but you get drafted a round or two rounds later. Then, then, then it, it's pay off there as well. The 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 catastrophic policy it's a it's a dinosaur. I mean it's 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 obsolete. Yeah, I, you're right, and I haven't heard it described in that way in many many years. And I do recall Ed Chester. He was a very defensive lineman for the University of Florida um, back in the '90s. Um, no, I, and and with with Dylan in, in this situation. Uh, again, based on the comments from Nick Saban a couple of days ago, you sort of took from it, whereas Alabama hadn't previously been in the business of covering those policies for certain players. Uh, it sounds like Alabama's getting into that business and you would think that would apply to, or, or might be getting into that business. And you would think that that would apply to Tua Tonga Vailoa too, because we talked about here on the pod before, especially right after to his hip injury and the and the and the revelation that Tua didn't have loss of value insurance that you know other guys in the past have been covered by their universities. Clemson covered Deshaun Watson in terms of loss of value. And, and here's here's where it gets tricky though from the university perspective is that and you talked about this before too that that for the student assistant fund assistance fund that that schools and programs have there there's a certain limit that you're allowed by ncaa rules i believe yeah so it's not like well look alabama's got all this money why don't they just cover all these guys well you're limited in how much you can offer or how much you can have in that pot right you're not only limited but it's not just for football players either it's supposed to be for the entire group of student athletes covering all you know all the sports who who need to dip in it for for various reasons that i guess more or less assist in cost of living uh i i want to say texas a&m with cedric abwehi was uh one of the first programs to say hey we we can we can use this uh we can use this fund to assist these guys for uh insurance purposes before they come have to come out for the nfl draft and and uh yeah it's a game changer makes you wonder travis how how much is left in the coffers for the for the the swimmers and the tennis players you know if i'm if i'm a coxman (laughs) on the rowing team chase there may not be much in there for me if i have a broken crown on my back left molar yeah they might just have, the, the, the compliance might just hand me a like a, a, a roll of dental floss and some pepsodent uh, tell me good luck sensodyne Chase. a tube of sensodyne yeah sensodyne <laughs> yeah and 800 milligrams of ibuprofen so uh at any rate and, and you know who knows what that i know it was several thousand dollars at one point uh the last time uh, that, that I did a story on something like that, which would have been back when I was with the Tuscaloosa News a number of years ago. For all I know, that pot's double what it used to be. I don't know. Uh, but I'll tell you this much, uh, the, the loss of value insurance premiums, I guarantee you they're a lot steeper than the, than the catastrophic ones because there's obviously a much higher chance it's going to get triggered. Yeah, there is. And it, again, it's, it's something that, that I'm sure – I'm sure Alabama would love to provide it for as many of these projected first round 
guys as they can, but there's a limit to what you can do. Um, but I think in some form or fashion, it, it's, it's something that UA will likely be forced to get into, not just in terms of taking care of their student athletes as best as they possibly can, but as we've talked about before, you know, that, that gets out there on that recruiting trail, Chase, that maybe you aren't doing everything you can to take care of your guys like Tua and Dylan. Whether it's true or not, you know, that hadn't stopped that, that buzz from going around the recruiting trail in the past. Recruiting's a filthy game, always has been and, and always will be. Some coaches a uh, little, little more willing to toe the line than others, but it's, it's, it's never going to be the cleanest thing, that's for sure. All right, uh, the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We're going to move on. Thank a couple of sponsors of the program, starting with North River Dental Associates, charter sponsor of the Talking Tide podcast. Dr. Jack Smalley and his team of dental hygienists is where you want to go, and it's where you want to send your family as well to get your teeth taken care of. They're conveniently located right off of McFarland Boulevard at 1100 Fairfax Park in Northport. Uh, you can't beat the convenience. The phone number is 752-3506. You can make an appointment on the web at northriverdentist.com, and they'll get you in and out of there typically in under an hour for a routine cleaning. But so many other dental services available to you at North River Dentistry as well. Uh, teeth whitening services, laser dentistry, endodontics, dentures, dental implants, oral surgery, whatever the case may be, uh, Dr. Jack and his team will get you taken care of. Again, it's North River Dental Associates at 1100 Fairfax Park in Northport. Also want to thank Session Cocktails and Spirits, Tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar downtown at 2221 University Boulevard, Hunter Wiggins and his group of bartenders are the most talented around you go in there you find a drink you like it's going to taste the same way every single time you go in there no matter who makes it no matter what day of the week it is because they get it done consistently over there with a deep and tasty menu of cocktails also an outstanding selection of wines and beers try one of those capris with that tito's handmade vodka it's going to create a uh, donation part of the a portion of the sales of those capris go to the metro animal shelter of tuscaloosa newly renovated tuscaloosa metro animal shelter by the way uh, the mint julep's also outstanding they've got a mai tai and old-fashioned uh, the sidecar one to try as well that's a drink with some cognac in it if that's your thing uh, give them a try session cocktails and spirits 2221 university boulevard I'm going to tell you about Heat Pizza Bar, also right there in downtown Tuscaloosa. And, you know, Heat, like a lot of us, has taken a few days off here around the Christmas and New Year's holiday. But uh, things are cranking back up. Things are heating back up, I guess you could say, at Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Tuscaloosa. That's right. If you're listening to this on Thursday, January the 2nd, at 4 o'clock today, on Thursday, January the 2nd, the boys are back in town. Get a little Thin Lizzy going in there in the background, good bread, when we do a little boys are back in town. There you go. But heat, heat back at it Thursday, January the 2nd, opening at 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. And going to do it right on Thursday night. Specials, $5 signature cocktails and $6 cheese or pepperoni pizzas on a Thursday. They got great specials throughout the week. And you know what else? The... The youngest daughter, 
I asked her, I said, her birthday is Friday, January 3rd. I said, what do you want to do for your birthday? You know what she said? Lunch at Heat. She wants to have her girls, friends, us, everyone just about at Heat Pizza Bar on Friday. That's what we're going to do. So Heat can take care of you a number of different ways. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, right there at Government Plaza. Also want to tell you, out in the Northport area, you can get out the Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. You know what Southern Ale House has been doing that is something I wish more establishments did, especially during downtimes of the year? They've been doing their annual thorough cleaning of the entire restaurant. If you went by Southern Ale House here in the last few days and, well, they weren't open for lunch or dinner, it's because they were taking care of business from a uh, health standard uh, there at the restaurant. I love it, man. I love knowing that I'm going to go to lunch or dinner or maybe brunch on the weekend and the place I'm going to from back to front from the restrooms, from the kitchen area to the dining area to the bar, totally cleaned, totally ready to go for the year 2020. And of course, they always have the great plates there, the great meatloaf, the great sandwiches, burgers, full bar options, those great happy hours that you're going to find there at Southern Ale House. Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. We're going to take you through with a little bit of talk about this CFP, excuse me, CFP final. Also touch on Alabama men's basketball before we close things out here on the podcast. So, Travis, first up, uh, the Clemson-LSU matchup for all the marbles, as, as much of a route as that LSU semifinal was, the Clemson-Ohio State game was extremely exciting. Clemson comes out on top. My pick was Ohio State. I thought the final was going to be LSU-Ohio State, so I was one and one uh, on my picks. I didn't think Clemson had that one in them. They did. Uh, and I, as good as LSU is, and, and, and look, there's no reason to think LSU's offense won't just con- keep continuing to roll because they've rolled over everybody. They're going to score a bunch of points. I'm not convinced Clemson can't keep up with them. Yeah, it's a fascinating matchup. And, and I did have Clemson beating Ohio State, but I'll be the first to tell you that after watching that game, you, you felt like it was Ohio State that let a massive opportunity go by the boards and credit Clemson showed sort of the showed sort of the pedigree DNA of a team that has won multiple championships here in the last three or four years. So I thought that came into play a little bit. Trevor Lawrence was heroic uh, in his play throughout the game. The problem I have with Clemson when I look at that matchup with LSU is I like Clemson's corners fine. But with the way LSU is playing offensive football now, that's not enough. You know, there have been years where, look, even with Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry on the field together, if you had good corners, LSU really couldn't hurt you in any other way. Well, LSU can do that now. So I worry more about when you get into the nickel defender, the star position, you know, do you have a dynamic playmaker type other than Isaiah Simmons there? at the sort of hybrid linebacker safety position, and he's absolutely outstanding. I guess that's my biggest question early on in looking at this matchup, Chase. Does does Clemson have enough Isaiah Simmons types at safety and linebacker 
to get done what's going to need to be done against not just the guys on the outside, but those slot guys, tight end Thaddeus Moss, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards, uh, that that's, that's what concerns me the most about Clemson on the defensive side. And I think Simmons is a guy who you're going to see matched up more on the, on the Mosses and Edwards at Lairs. Yeah. And so it, it, it's, and he'll do a good job, but you're right. It, it takes, it takes more. It takes more yeah. to handle this. You've got to have five dudes on that back end. Five. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You can't have three or four. And and you know Venables. He's going to bring heat, right? I mean, he's just going to say, look, I know we don't have enough guys to cover these all these different guys, so we're just going to bring five every play. I, I don't know how sustainable that is, Chase, against Joe Burrow and these guys. Has he got too much Grantham in him with all that blitzing? I, you know, here's the thing, though. I don't. I'm not necessarily going to. I'm not necessarily going to criticize Venables if he does, because what's the option? You know, I mean, look, uh, you know, there were some guys that made some nice plays in that Clemson secondary, especially when the game was on the line. Um, but again, it's it's matchups and it's matchups in space in, in, in green areas. And, um, you know, hey, look, I, I think the, the same is going to be true for uh, when Clemson has the football. You know, it, 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 as great as Derek Stingley Jr. has been as a true freshman, Christian Fulton, very solid on that other side. Uh, but but I do like sort of one through five what LSU is going to run out there, Grant Delpit, on the back end of that defense more than I like what Clemson's going to run out there. And Clemson doesn't have, I think, Caleb on Chason for LSU is the more dynamic pass rusher when you talk about edge guys anyway compared to what Clemson's got. Yes, yes, I, I and and Chason probably hadn't had the production certainly that he was looking for this year. Doesn't mean he's not a dynamic athlete. Doesn't mean he can't come up with a big play at a big moment. Uh, and he certainly played well in the semifinals. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how this one. anybody 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 still seen Chase Young in that semifinal? I, I, they put an APB out for Chase. I mean, what happened? They did a good job. They did a good job yeah. on him, and I, and I don't think Chase Young's draft status is going to be affected by that at all. I think oh. he's going to still go right at the top. Uh, he's going to wow him at the combine. I know that for sure. But uh, Chase, he needed to play well in that one game to really solidify his status, Chase. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's, what? Yeah, yeah. That, Are you sure about that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy to listen to that kind of talk. It's still out there. <laughs> It's, it used it to be, it used to be predominant. It well, it's it starting to dissipate at least, right? It's we're starting to hear that used to be everybody. That used to be the the uh, uh, the majority opinion. I think at least now it's starting to dissipate, right? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you're you're on the radio an hour a day, and I'm not. <laughs> okay, so you would you would know better than me. I'll defer to you on that. I'll defer to you on public opinion yeah, yeah. and how it's. I'm just glad. I'm just glad Jerry Judy. Had that 200-yard game yesterday, so maybe he'll crawl into the first round now, Chase. Maybe, you know. Uh, the Talking Tide podcast is going to roll now to Alabama basketball quickly before we close things out. And just a quick programming update with football season coming to a close. The Talking Tide podcast is going to slow down just a bit. Uh, at this time of year, we start bringing them uh, once a week, maybe once every 10 days, uh, talking a lot of Alabama basketball, just not twice weekly as we do in the fall. And Travis, uh, looking ahead, Alabama getting ready to start conference play in game. Gainesville going to Florida. 
Uh, Pops ought to be there. I want Pops in the stands for that one. Saturday, ESPN2 broadcast. He might be, yeah. Uh, 5 p.m. Central time tip-off for that mm-hmm. one as UA opens up conference play. On a three-game winning streak, Travis, they've scored – uh, I think 105, 90, and 92 in uh, three straight wins to close out the non-conference slate. It's not going to be easy to maintain that kind of scored pace in league play, though. Yeah, it seems like in a lot of years that Alabama's gone down to Gainesville, or in the years Alabama's gone down to Gainesville, the basket has resembled a thimble, you know, in trying to make shots. But what we have seen of late, if this team shoots the three at a decent rate, Shot it at, what, a 40% clip last time out against Richmond? You know, 33-point shots typically in that neighborhood is what Alabama's going to get up. And so it's imperative that this team on a nightly basis hit double digits in terms of made three. Ten's the magic or, or, number at a minimum, right? I, 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 Yeah, because if you make 10 out of 30, that that's the acceptable percentage, right? About 33% from three. I, I, I've heard that said many times before. That's a point of well, shot. Yeah, they, they made 12 against Richmond. They go 12 for 30 Saturday evening in at the O'Connell Center. I, I think they'll have a chance. And look, this Florida team, like some other teams in the league that there were high expectations for going into the season, haven't necessarily met up with those. Kentucky, for example, although Kentucky got a nice win over Louisville here in the last week. Um, it's kind of a – it has the look anyway of a wide-open league going into it. Alabama with a really tough slate to get going. You get Florida on the road, Mississippi State back here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, then you go to Kentucky. Uh, and then I believe you have Auburn in your first four. So (laughs) you're going to, you know, if you go two and two through that stretch, right. You you feel pretty good about that, that type of four game start. If you're Nate Oates, it's going to do it for the talking tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, and tune in for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern fried sports radio. I'm chase Goodbread of NFL.com and crimson cover television. We'll talk to you next time right here on talking tide.